I'm Erin Holt, and this is the Functional Nutrition Podcast, where we lean into intuitive functional medicine. We look at how diet, our environment, our emotions, and our beliefs all affect our physical health. This podcast is your full-bodied, well-rounded resource. I've got over a decade of clinical experience, and because of that, I've got a major bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model. They're both failing so many of us. But functional medicine isn't the panacea that it's made out to be either. We've got some work to do, and that's why creating a new model is my life's work. I believe in the ripple effect, so I founded the Functional Nutrition Academy, a school in mentorship for practitioners who want to do the same. This show is for you if you're looking for new ways of thinking about your health and you're ready to be an active participant in your own healing. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. I would love for you to follow the show, rate, review, and share because you never know whose life you might change. And of course, keep coming back for more. Hello, beautiful babies. We're back. And today I'm going to share with you three changes that I made recently to regulate my appetite. Because I was in a real phase where I was just super, super hungry at night. It, it didn't matter what I ate for dinner or how much. Come evening, I would just be so ravenous, like wanted to eat anything. And you know, it's like that nighttime eating. You're not sitting down to eat like a bowl of salad and grilled chicken breast. It's like whatever is not nailed down in the house, that's what you want to eat. Now, some of it was habitual, so I'm going to talk about that, but some of it was like straight up hunger. Like I was genuinely hungry. Now, we do not pathologize hunger around here. Hunger is a very normal, natural response of your body. And so what I tend to do when I go through phases of feeling more hungry is I just ride the waves. There are different times in my menstrual cycle where I get extremely hungry, specifically around ovulation. That's a big one for me. There is a shift in our metabolism around that time. So it's not uncommon to feel a bit more hungry during ovulation, but that usually lasts a couple of days. And then it's kind of whoop back to baseline. This, what I'm talking about lasted for months. So today I'm going to talk about the three major changes that really helped me regulate my appetite. Before we get into it, I want to remind everybody about the Functional Nutrition Collective. This is a brand new offering that we just rolled out this month. It's an education portal and a holistic health community. It's an annual subscription where you get access to pretty much all of our courses. Energetics of Expansion, the Carb Compatibility Project, Your Hormone Revival, Body Intentions Breakthrough, Boundaries Course. Plus, you get live classes each and every month on nutrition, on intuitive functional medicine, mind-body medicine it's a vibe. You also get access to a community of like-minded individuals that are all kind of working through similar stuff. The best part about it is it's super affordable. It's only $149 a month, less than the cost of my husband's CrossFit, which is what I love to say, much to his chagrin. So you can join that anytime and get access to all of our upcoming live classes and also our courses. I'll mention the Carb Compatibility Project. Quite a bit. We usually run a class every single January. So I know a lot of folks in the collective are going to be starting up the CCP. So you can join the collective, get access to that program, and it's going to be good. So 
Before we get into like the meat and potatoes of the three actual changes I make, I want to really emphasize that healthy appetite is a sign of good health. So like I said, we're not pathologizing hunger, okay? Hard stop. There's nothing wrong with hunger. want to make that really clear. My issue was that I had no appetite in the morning and then I was ravenous at night. And food restriction is just simply not something that I do. It's not something that we do here at the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you're new here, first of all, hi, hello, welcome. Thanks for being here. Hope you enjoy the show. But the reason that I got into nutrition and dietetics in the first place is because I struggled with eating disorders for over 10 years. And generally speaking, you don't heal restrictive eating patterns through more restriction, right? The ticket in is not usually the same ticket out. When I started my nutrition practice, and then the more that I worked with people, I realized, gosh, most women are actually dramatically under eating, not overeating. It's a kind of a common misconception. And when you under eat, That leads to a lot of common symptoms that many of us experience like brain fog, anxiety, low energy, low mood, poor sleep, low exercise endurance, but also like a lot of bigger picture stuff like thyroid dysfunction, hormonal imbalance, period irregularities, blood sugar dysregulation, metabolism wonkiness. And honestly, one of the simplest, most basic foundational things to do to get a woman's body to start functioning better is to eat more. And we also work with men in our practice. And so we we actually can see this sometimes too. Um, I'm thinking of one particular client who trains really, really hard, like CrossFit style workouts. On top of that, a lot of running. So he was training like an athlete and then we needed to get him eating like an athlete too. We needed to get him prioritizing his nutrition in the same way he was prioritizing his fitness. So men can absolutely do this too. And sometimes this is intentional under eating. And sometimes it's just unintentional under eating like, oh gosh, I'm so busy that I just kind of forgot. So I say all of this to preface and to set the context for today's discussion. We all know that it's not uncommon for people to attempt a new health routine or a new eating routine at the start of the new year. And personally, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that. You can listen to last week's episode for more on that. But Because of the way many of us have been indoctrinated, we believe that lean, leanness, thinness is the ideal. And the way to achieve that physical ideal is through restriction. So, so many of us have been indoctrinated with this ideology, this belief system. So what we can do is have a tendency to start the year off attempting diet extremes. Uh, For example, a big thing that we can see at the start of the year is intermittent fasting interest, intermittent fasting attempts. We get a lot of questions about intermittent fasting. I did a whole episode, episode 135, on intermittent fasting, who it's for, who it's not for. What I will tell you right, right out of the gate, in case this is something you're interested in, trialing for the start of the new year, it's true that intermittent fasting can be really beneficial and really therapeutic. And there's a lot of wonderful research behind it. It is also true that intermittent fasting can be detrimental to your health. So welcome to nutrition where two truths can coexist at once. Two seemingly opposing truths can coexist. So if you try it and it works for you, great. If it doesn't, 
hey, you're not broken. You're probably just a woman. Intermittent fasting usually is not super ideal for menstruating women long-term. That is just something that we've seen. We kind of specialize in women's health here at the Functional Nutritionist, and we just see that over and over and over again. For the most part, it's not really a great vibe for women. So we'll leave it at that for now. Head to episode 135 if you want a deep dive on that. But that's why I wanted to start the year off here, all right? In a gentle reminder, just in case you need it, health and also weight loss, it's not a quick fix. It's not a juice cleanse. It's not a crash diet. It's really more of a devotional practice. And I talked about this last week, especially when you're looking for long-term sustainable results. If you bring frantic, chaotic, and frenetic energy to a goal, don't be surprised when you get frantic, chaotic, frenetic results. All right, just a just a good, good kind of like rule to live by. So it's also relevant to note here that my sleep and my exercise really didn't change at all during this time. We all, you know, we want to, when we're trying to figure out like, hey, where are we getting success? What's working? What's contributing to our results? We always want to try to control for variables because if you start, you know, six different things all at the same time, you're not really sure what exactly is working. So I do want to say that because when we're talking about appetite regulation, there are different levers to pull. So meal timing, macros, so macronutrients, carbs, protein, fat, uh, blood sugar regulation, our emotional state, all of these things are different levers we can move around. All of them impact our appetite. Sleep is a big one, such an unsung hero, so overlooked, especially when it comes to appetite. Sleep deprivation can result in people consuming more calories during the following day. So what we typically see, and there's research to back this up, that if you are underslept, even by a couple of hours, your appetite can and most likely will increase the following day. So if if appetite regulation is something that you feel you need help with, um, make sure you're sleeping. That's kind of like the place to start. So is exercise intensity. That's another big lever, a big uh, contributor to hunger. Uh, Dr. Jade Tita talks about this pretty frequently in his work. I had him on the show in episode 288. He talked about metabolism, hormones, and weight loss. And that would be a great one to kind of uh, dip your toe into. So just understand that increased intensity of exercise can definitely drive up our hunger. It makes sense. The body's always just trying to bring itself back to homeostasis. So if you're doing things that really expend a lot of calories, chances are your appetite is going to increase in order to compensate for that. So just keep that in mind. Now, if you need help figuring out these levers or understanding these levers and you know figuring out which ones you need to pull on, that's what we help you do in the Functional Nutrition Collective. I would probably have you start with the Carb Compatibility Project. That's a four-week nutrition plan that helps you regulate your blood sugar, your metabolism, your hunger, your satiety, your energy, all that good stuff. When I start to feel my stress and anxiety kick it up a notch, like Emeril Lagasse, I personally lean on Ned's De-Stress Blend. It's a certified organic formula that features two powerful plant 
compounds, CBD, and then the lesser known CBG, which is considered the mother of all cannabinoids because of how effective it is for anxiety and stress. De-Stress Blend also features ashwagandha, one of my favorite adaptogens. And I think I say that about all the adaptogens, but ashwagandha was my gateway into adaptogenic herbs. So I do have a special love for it. Invest in yourself and fortify your stress response. Get 15% off of Ned's de-stress blend with code FUNK. Go to helloned.com forward slash FUNK or enter code FUNK at checkout. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash F-U-N-K to get 15% off. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. Okay, podcast buddies, I want to take a sec to shout out Organifi Green Apple Juice. Yum. It's like a healthy apple juice with all the benefits of the original green juice. If you don't love the taste of the original green juice, this one is for you. It's made with organic apples that are hand-picked, Golden Delicious, Northern Spy, Macintosh, Ida Red, and Empire. So real deal apples are up in this blend. It also has the added benefit of 600 milligrams of ashwagandha, which is an adaptogen that helps the body cope with stress and can balance out cortisol levels. It also has really potent and nourishing green plants like moringa, spirulina, and chlorella. It's so good. You're going to absolutely love it. Order it today. Head to Organifi.com forward slash funk, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash funk, and you can save 20% off your order with the code F-U-N-K. Okay. Let me tell you what I did to help to regulate my appetite. The very first change that I made was, well, you know, that's not fair to say. I made all of these changes all at once. (laughs) But this is the the big three needle movers for me. This is number one. I ate a full protein-rich meal every single morning early and earlier than was comfortable for me. So I was in this pattern of starting my workday early and it just kept bumping up. It was earlier and earlier. Like I would wake up, you know, sometimes at like 5.30, sometimes at 6, sometimes at 6.30. I'd go downstairs, I'd have my coffee and I would go right up into my office and boom, my workday was started. I was also under a lot of stress during this period, a lot of work stress, a lot. I was just putting a lot of pressure on myself. I kept, I just felt um, like I was kind of on a hamster wheel. It was like compulsive. Um, And I felt like I was in a pressure cooker. And so being under that stress impacted my morning hunger in that I didn't have an appetite. So not eating in the morning really set me up for a lot more hunger later in the day. And there's such a big connection between stress and blood sugar regulation. Um, There's a big connection between blood sugar regulation and appetite. So all of these things were at play for me in the mornings. So it kind of meant that I, I was waiting until later in the day to start eating. And I tend to work out in the morning. So I was doing a lot more fasted workouts, not intentionally, but it was just kind of, it just happened. Um, it was just in this pattern. I would rush from coffee to work to workout. 
And that pattern just wasn't working for me. And you guys, I, I teach this stuff. You know, I know this stuff, but sometimes we just get in our way a little bit. I usually am pretty good on the nutrition tip of not getting in my own way, but I was definitely stuck in a pattern. That's why I was like, oh, I got to I gotta do a show about this um, because if I'm in this pattern, chances are other people kind of are in, the, in a similar pattern. And what we need to do sometimes is create a pattern interrupt for ourselves, kind of like stick a stake in the wheel spoke and just say, whoop, okay, it is time to start to start doing something different. We recognize the pattern and then we make different choices. So the different choice that I made was to start front-loading protein and get at least 30 grams of protein in the morning. And I wasn't doing this through protein powders, although I do use protein powders. I was doing this with like a full actual sit-down meal that I chewed. Um, And like I said, I didn't have an appetite, so I kind of had to work my way towards this. So I started boiling just a bunch of hard-boiled eggs so I could have that. Like I didn't have an excuse, you know, like they were in the fridge. I put some salt on them and I started with that just to get something into my pie hole. But once I... Once I kind of like greased the wheels and got myself ready, I sat down and had like a full-blown meal. I'm going to share with you my go-to meal during this time, my go-to breakfast. And this isn't, there's nothing like, you know, there's no secret sauce to this. I was just really into it and I enjoyed it. I was, I just created a new habit and it was this meal. I ate two pieces of base culture bread. So base culture bread, I just get it at Whole Foods. It's in the freezer section. It's expensive. I think it's actually, I don't know, but I think it's like 12 bucks for a loaf of bread, you know, but it's super nutrient dense. It's a lot of um, nuts and seeds. So it's really caloric dense. There's a fair amount of fat in it. It's uh, 10 grams of fat per slice. Uh, there's four grams of protein first per slice, and then there's 140 calories per slice. So boom nutrient dense. So I had that, I toasted it up and then I would cook three eggs in ghee. I would fry them up. Love me a fried egg. And then I would do tomato slices, which is weird because I don't usually like tomatoes, but just, it just worked on this. I would do tomato slices and sprouts. So we'd get sprouts at the local farm, Vernon Family Farm. And that was like just my go-to. Once in a while, I would put avocado on it, but that was like pretty much it. Um, so this was like about 600 calories, about 40 grams of fat, which is, you know, a decent amount of fat for one meal. And then about 30 grams of protein. I tend to do really well with high fat, high protein. Um, not everybody does, but this works for me, but I would suggest aiming for about 30 grams in the data that we have does suggest that protein intake at breakfast can be better for the maintenance of skeletal muscle mass, especially in uh, healthy older women. Now, I've been working with a personal trainer for the past three months-ish. The, the primary driver is to reduce injury. I was like, I just kept tweaking my shoulder and I wanted somebody's eyes on my body. So I was moving my body correctly. <laughs> you know, in a way that didn't cause pain and injury. But also my goal is to put on muscle mass. I have talked about this a lot over the past year. There's a lot of episodes where we talk about the benefits of muscle. We also talk about protein. So episode 233 
episode 282, I got to sit down and talk to Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. She talked about building muscle mass. Uh, 265, talked um, with Liz Wolf about muscle mass and training for longevity. 288, that's the episode with Dr. Jade Tita that I referenced. We'll link those all up in the show notes. So if you want to kind of do a deep dive on muscle mass and protein intake, head there. But 30 grams of protein, there's uh, Dr. Gabrielle Lyons shares that this is the threshold per meal that helps to stimulate muscle protein synthesis. So if it is a goal of yours to put on and maintain muscle mass and you're doing exercise and movement that is with that goal in mind, aiming for 30 grams of protein per meal is a really solid bet, like at least, you know, at least 30 grams of protein per per meal, but also making sure you're getting that in the morning too, starting your day off with 30 grams of protein with an actual meal. Now, if you think about the standard American diet, it doesn't, it's not really in alignment with that. Our eating pattern is one that we tend to have higher carbohydrates and lower protein in the morning. That doesn't really set us up for blood sugar regulation, but it also doesn't set us up for great muscle synthesis and muscle mass either. So if we can kind of rearrange our eating schedule and prioritize getting a good protein-rich meal first thing in the morning, front-loading that protein, that can be really, really helpful. Now, You know, everybody wants to talk about what's evidence-based and how many people want to get so nitty-gritty and so prescriptive. How many grams of protein do I need? That's the best that I can do for you. Shoot for 30 grams. We get more into this in the CCP, the Carb Compatibility Project. But what I'm also trying to encourage people is like, you be the evidence. You be the evidence. When people say how many exact protein grams I need, why don't you try some things and see how you do and see how you feel? Stop leaning on external data points if you have a habit of doing that. And maybe you let this year be the year that you use your own body as a compass. And yes, this absolutely takes practice. And this is what, you know, this is what what I refer to as where the science meets the sacred. We want to allow the sacred wisdom of the body to coalesce with the information that we have because we've got some really great information. I just shared some with you like, Hey, eat a breakfast first thing in the morning, shoot for 30 grams of protein. And then we want to actually do that. We want to embody that. We want to run that through our own filters. We want to try it. And we want to have the ability to touch base with our inner wisdom to see how our body responds to that and let that be our jump off point. So whenever I build out nutrition frameworks like the carb compatibility, for example, I'm always allowing you to to use the framework in that way, to use the framework, to give you a baseline, to give you a starting point, to give you some structure. But the ultimate goal is for you to access your own inner knowing. That is like the hope in the dream. Now, I recognize that this is easier said than done, especially if you have had a adversarial relationship with your body in the past. And so that's why in the new health paradigm that we're building, in the, the Functional Nutrition Collective, we, we do recognize that we are involved in a lifelong relationship with our body. And it is our goal to make this relationship the best that it can be. And that takes practice, all right? That takes practice. It's not... It's not always an overnight success story. Sometimes we have to kind of chip away at that. So anyway, try that strategy out and see how you do with it. Eat breakfast first thing in the morning, front load that protein, like eat a meal, see how you do. The second thing that I did is I ate 
three full meals that required chewing. So I wasn't leaning on smoothies as one of my meals, which is what I had been doing. I was in a pattern because I was like busy, 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 stress, 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 work, 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 sitting at my desk. I work from home, by the way, which is like, that's always been really great for me. And lately I'm like, is it? Is it though? Um, Because that just means you can work around the clock and uh, there's nobody really there to like, there's no checks and balances with that. So anyway, I was leaning on smoothies pretty heavily. Now I want to go on record to say I absolutely love smoothies. I think they are such a great way to get in a lot of really deep nutrition. I leverage them often for myself, for my family, my kiddo. We have a lot of really wonderful recipes in all of my nutrition programs for smoothies. Love them. But, and also, I personally needed an appetite reset, so I stopped leaning on smoothies as primary meals for a little while. They just weren't filling me up. So I could like, you know, put in like 600 calories into a smoothie and like an hour later, I would still be hungry. So no matter how much protein powder I added to it, no matter matter how much fat I added to it, it wasn't satiating me. So sometimes I'll still sneak in a smoothie as a snack, but that's really the big shift. I took the time to sit down and eat three actual meals a day. So this was good for my satiation. This was good for my appetite. This was also good for my mental health and also really good for digestion. You know, so I think it was, I think it worked. It served me in a lot of, a lot of different ways. Now for lunch, there was no like real secret sauce to that either. I did a lot of like the CCP style lunches. So I would do salads. I would do leftover dinner, like leftover soups, kind of like whatever, you know, whatever I had in the fridge. I do try to prioritize protein at lunch and dinner. That's, you know, that's something that I've just kind of have always done. But what I will say, and I was really interested to to experience this myself, what I will say is that my macro ratio, so the ratio of carbs to protein to fat for lunch and dinner didn't really influence my appetite as making the other two changes, which is to front load protein, eat a big breakfast, and um, make sure I was actually eating three meals a day. So what I mean by that, like I could eat pasta and veggies with no added protein for dinner and still feel satiated at night. That's not something that I typically do, but like, you know, once in a blue moon, if you just don't have any protein defrosted in times, like pasta it is. <laughs> pasta it is. Actually, we did this, I have been like really into orzo. There's that jovial pasta, which I adore. They have a cassava orzo, which I really like. And I used to just love orzo back in the day. My mom used to make it for us kind of a lot. Um, so I would do that. I do this orzo in veggie dish. The, um, if you're doing the CCP or you've done the CCP, the veggie loaded pasta recipe from CCP, I basically just do that with orzo. So essentially what I do is I make an artichoke spinach dip. And I make, I have my own recipe. Um, I use canned artichoke hearts, caramelized onions. If you take the time to like actually caramelize them, because it makes all the difference in the world. I use spinach, um, dairy-free feta. You don't have to do dairy-free. I'm just dairy-free. Chosen foods, mayo and cashews and some lemon juice. And I kind of use that as the sauce. And then I add lots of veggies and mix it all in with the orzo. So it's just like, 
I, it's like such a comfort food for me, like dumpy. It feels so just like dumpy, even though it's really good for you. But it's like pasta and veggies in a sauce is just like my comfort, comfort food. So anyway, the point is, the point is it wasn't so much like I was like, oh, I need to hit all of these protein grams. Like that isn't what made the biggest difference in my, my personal satiation, although prioritizing protein can be very important for satiation, but really sort of redistributing, redistributing my meal timing and making sure I was eating that big meal in the morning had a, had a big influence. And then just making sure I was eating meals rather than like drinking one of my meals that made a difference. I want to introduce you to a new to me product called Qualia Senolytic. It's something that I've been experimenting with as I round the bend on 40 for more of an insurance policy than anything else. I feel good and I want to stay feeling good. As you age, you accumulate these things called senescent cells. We talked about this a lot in episode 280, The Science of Aging. Senescent cells actually cause the symptoms of aging, aches and pains, slow workout recoveries, low energy. So Qualia Senolytic actually removes these worn out senescent cells. And the cool thing is you only have to take it two days a month. So if you want to support aging at the cellular level, try Qualia Senolytic. Go to neurohacker.com forward slash F-U-N-K-S for up to $100 off and use code FUNKS, F-U-N-K-S, at checkout for an additional 15% off. That's neurohacker.com forward slash FUNKS for an extra 15% off your purchase. This one is for my low-carb Barbies. If you're struggling with headaches, muscle cramps, or fatigue on a low-carb diet, you are probably low in electrolytes. This is for two reasons. One is that whole foods, keto, or low-carb diets are low in sodium. When you cut out packaged foods, you basically cut out your main dietary, dietary sources of sodium. Also, you excrete more sodium in a carb-restricted state. But the good news is that replenishing electrolytes can really rectify symptoms pretty darn quickly. Element is my personal electrolyte of choice. It's super yummy, has everything you need and nothing you don't. The reality is every single person needs electrolytes, but if you're active or you're on a low carb diet, you really extra need electrolytes to feel and perform your best. Right now, Element is offering my listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single serving packets for free with an Element order. It's a great way to try all the flavors or you could share them with a friend. Get yours at drinkelement.com forward slash funk. That is D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com forward slash F-U-N-K. Element offers a no questions asked refund so you can try it risk-free. And then the third change that I made, not specific to food, it was more working on the emotional and mental side of things, um, which is important if you have a tendency to eat a lot at night, um, if you feel super hungry, if you feel insatiable, if you've sort of labeled it as binge eating, or if you do binge eat at night, we always want to hit it from both angles. We want to address it from the physical body, but we also want to address it from the uh, mental and emotional bodies as well. So I'll explain to you what I mean by physical body. These are the strategies I'm about to map out for you, but this is exactly what we do in the carb compatibility project. So if you need more like clear direction and actual program to follow, definitely join the Functional Nutrition Collective and do the CCP, but make sure you're getting enough overall calories. 
That is so big. People are like, oh, I'm binging it eating at night. And I'm like, well, are you binge eating or are you just hungry at night? Because people will restrict all day, either intentionally or unintentionally. And then they feel like they're out of control at night and they label it binge eating when in actuality, hunger is just a really normal and natural response to under eating. It's what your body does if it's underfed. And so many of us are just accustomed to dieting into restriction that a normal amount of food seems like too much. So what you might actually need to work on is increasing your meal size throughout the day and see if that influences your nighttime appetite. Um, The second thing is make sure that you are regulating your blood sugar, which is the central theme of the carb compatibility project. Big one is don't skip meals. One of my mentors taught me this, and I have seen this play out. It's just so true for myself and for other bodies. But if we can't regulate our blood sugar or if our blood sugar drops in the morning because we're not eating, we're like cranking caffeine, we're stressed out, we're not eating, um, it can be really hard to kind of regroup and reorganize later on in the day. So we want to make it our priority to regulate our blood sugar from the get-go when we wake up in the morning. Otherwise, that can definitely lead to like hunger dysregulation. The third thing from a physical body perspective is to increase satiation in your meals by moving around your macros. So this is protein, fat, carbs, and you just might need to move these around like levers. So you might need to increase your protein. We've already talked about that. You actually might need to increase your fat. That can increase satiety. If you are under eating carbohydrates, sometimes just adding carbohydrates to your meal can can increase satiety. So those are all different levers that you can kind of play around with. So that's kind of like baseline. Make sure that you're, if you feel super hungry at night, make sure you're like hitting the the foundational stuff for the physical body, but also stress. Stress is a big one. There is, like I said, an interplay between stress and blood sugar. There's an interplay between stress and hunger. Um, And I just want to speak into this. Eating, binge eating, and just eating in general can make us feel really good. You know, neurotransmitters are involved. It, it can make us actually feel good. And emotional eating at night can bring us like a, a feeling of joy. You know, sometimes for some of us, food is really our only source of joy. We, especially as women, can have almost like a corrupt relationship with our joy with our pleasure, with feeling good. I mean, I've, I've definitely talked about this on the show before. Like I had a coach who wanted me to prioritize doing things that felt good. And my initial instinctual reaction was to be like, but who am I to feel good? Like, uh, that's not, (laughs) that is not ideal. So that's like some things that I've had to work through, but we can feel like our joy, our pleasure, even our dreams, like our hopes, dreams, and desires don't really matter. And I will say as a mom, once you become a mom, like sort of like the cultural norm of momming our mom culture, we play second fiddle to everyone and everything else in your life. So like our, our joy, our dreams really go on the back burner. And This is something that I'm going to speak into in January's workshop. I'll be teaching it on Thursday, January 25th, um, where the science meets the sacred. And that will be, um, if you're in the collective, that will be exclusive to anybody in the collective. So if you want to join that, make sure you join 
the collective. But at the time of this, let's call it appetite dysregulation, I was going through some really interesting things with my relationship to myself. Um, The healer who I work with every single week kept referring to it as the underworld. I was doing some deep dives, some excavation work, some like core wound type stuff. Uh, Basically since April of this year, Uh, coincidentally or not coincidentally, I don't know. That is when my stepfather, the man who raised me, passed away. And, you know, that really that really kicked off some things, some opportunities for healing, let's say. So I was going through it. Um, I already shared with you that I was in a period of like um, pressure and stress with work and career stuff. And eating at night provided a level of physical comfort for me. Um, I think it's also worth noting not irrelevant that my wine consumption dramatically increased during this time too. Um, So yeah, I was like numbing a little bit. You know, I was leaning on food as a way to feel good um, because I wasn't reaching for other things in my life to feel good. I didn't feel great and that was my outlet. And then I was doing a little bit of numbing with with the old wine ski. Um, but ultimately, my goal for myself is to have a life and live a life that I don't need to numb out or escape from. Live a life that feels good to me, you know, so I don't have to reach for external things to feel good. I can just live my life and feel good. And so that was a little bit of like a, a wake up call for me. Um, so I needed to tend to my energy body, I needed to tend to my emotional body. And since then, I've been making some pretty radical changes. Um, That was part of me taking a month off of the podcast in December. But I also increased joy in my life. I did more things that brought me joy, you know, and that would be a good thing for you, dear listener, if um, nighttime eating is a thing, you know, and you've already checked all of the boxes for the physical body stuff. Do you have joy in your life? Like, what does that look like? Do you have fun? Do you have pleasure? Do you allow yourself to dream? Do you feel like your life is like a pressure cooker of a situation? Do you have more pressure or more pleasure? That was, that's a good question to ask yourself. Um, And how does that feel to you? You know, um, we have to get really radically honest with ourselves. We have to do like some investigative research into our own lives when we're feeling a little off, when we're not feeling like ourselves. The goal is to bring ourselves back to ourselves. I want you to feel like yourself. I want you to feel fully alive, you know, fully expressed. How do we get you there? So, you know, we, we tend to label emotional eating and binge eating and big appetite as bad, but gosh, it really helped me shine a light on some of the things in my life that needed a readjustment. Um, I also, what can be super helpful is if nighttime eating is habitual for you, you can swap out that habit, those behaviors with other things. This is something else that I did. I implemented um, a lot of the body intentions breakthrough practices. For the sake of time, I won't get into the nitty gritty, but we could we can get into the nitty gritty on some upcoming shows if you'd like. But I started meditating more at night, like longer stretches. The style of meditation that I practice helps me feel good. Like I actually feel physically good in my body and emotionally feel good. So 
that means I am less reliant on food to have to do that for me. So rather than like sitting on the couch, like watching TV and eating my Siete chips, I had a real moment with Siete chips, wine and Siete chips. Um, I, I meditated and I like leveraged my mind to feel good, which is always a move and a vibe for me. So body intentions breakthrough might be something it is. You can use it for weight loss. It's brain. It's a, it's a course to that will lead you through brain-based weight loss if that is a goal, but you could also use it for other health goals as well. It's a $444 course, but that is one of the courses you get access to in the Functional Nutrition Collective um, for $149 a month. So check it out. You can combine, you can do a little combo platter of the Carb Compatibility Project and Body Intentions Breakthrough and ta-da, now you're hitting it from different angles. You've got the physical body on lock. We start to get into like the mental, the emotional body as well. All right. That's all I have for you today. If you try some of these things and they help you, let me know. Hit us up in the DMs. Would love to hear from you. Hope you have a great week. Catch you next Tuesday. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you got something from today's show, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.